Good morning to everybody. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, and we'll begin reading there in just a moment. Alan, I just want to let you know, on behalf of the church, I love it when you lead our worship. I love the thought and the time and the preparation that you spend leading up to today. I love your heart. And thank you for leading us in worship, not just today, but week in and week out. There was a family that was out vacationing at the lake one summer. The dad was out by the boat dock. Had two kids, a 12-year-old and a 3-year-old, and they're playing around the dock. And the 12-year-old was supposed to be watching his little brother. But as you know, with kids, distractions are easily come upon, right? And so the 12-year-old was watching his little brother and then just got distracted and one thing led to another. And the 3-year-old, little Billy, thought that it would be a good time to check out the shiny little fishing boat that was tied up at the end of the dock and so he went to the dock and he put one foot on the boat and one foot on the dock and he lost his balance and he fell into the water and he fell down about five or six feet deep well when he splashed and when he went into the water that alerted the 12 year old and he all of a sudden just started screaming because he realized Oh no, I I didn't do what I was supposed to do and now this is not good at all. And so they're all frantically running around and the dad jumps in uh, to try to find his little boy. He goes down and he feels around and does all of this and then he has to come back up so he can breathe and so he can get some air. And then he comes back down that five or six feet and finally on his way up, he felt a little arm lock in a death grip on one of the post dock as he's feeling around about four feet underwater. And so he pried his little boy's fingers loose and he sucked them up in his hands and his arms and they, all, they both went up so they could breathe. And he finally, when he realized that his little boy was okay, he said, what on earth were you doing down there hanging on to the post so far under the water? And I love the little boy's classic answer, laced with just wisdom that only a 12-year-old or a 3-year-old toddler could give. He said, Dad, I was just waiting for you because I knew that you would come to my rescue. Is that not just a typical answer that a little child would give? I was waiting for on you dad because I knew that you would come we are entering into a season of the year that is very busy right how many of you dared went to the parade last night parade of lights wow I think Paris all of a sudden went from about 25,000 people to a million plus I mean there were people everywhere And what were we doing? We were waiting for 6 o'clock to come. And depending on where you were downtown, you might have to wait a little longer 
for the actual beginning of the parade, right? I mean, I had no idea that we even had that many fire trucks in Lamar County, but we got a lot, okay? Pretty nice ones, too. Crowd, I was standing around. This guy said, man, I mean, if you were an arson, this is the time to go strike, right? I mean, everybody is just eagerly waiting and anticipating, but we've got all these parties. We've got uh, high school musical that's being played at the high school this weekend. I'm putting a plug in. The last show's at 2.30 today. Come watch my daughter, Abby. She is great in the musical. Uh, Abby, there's your commercial, right? She didn't even ask me to do that. But we've got parties. We've got musicals. I mean, we've got all this excitement. But really, what are we waiting for? We're waiting till the calendar comes over to December 25th, right? We're waiting for Christmas. And all of this stuff just builds up. Well, this month, I want to take us back to some Old Testament prophecies that are teaching and that are telling and that are explaining to us some real deep meaning about the coming of Christ. Now, here's what I want you to to know. This is a season of the year that's known as Advent. That's just a Latin word that means coming. It means an anticipation, a waiting for the coming of Jesus. That's what they were doing thousands of of years ago. Now you fast forward to our lives today, what we are doing is we are waiting for Jesus to come back again. Because he's already been born in the manger, he's already lived, he died, he went to the cross, he was resurrected, and as William reminded us this morning, Jesus is the reason for everything. He's the reason for every season of life, isn't he, church? And so we have that to be so thankful for. And because of that, we have a story to tell those on the streets. We have a story to tell to those that we work with that do not know Jesus. We have a story to tell that there is hope for our lives because we believe that Jesus is coming again. And so what we do is we wait. We wait for his return. And we are anticipating that. We're excited about that. And even though we have no clue when he's coming, we don't know the time, we don't know the hour, but what we do know is the most important thing, and that is he's coming again. And that's what we have to hang on to for the rest of our lives, right? And that's why we love knowing the fact that those that have gone before us As the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 12, we've got that great cloud of witnesses that's over us, that's cheering us on in the faith. And that's the hope that we have that we're going to see our loved ones. We're going to see our friends that have gone before us. We will see them again. That's the anticipation. That's the hope that we have. But at the beginning of this season, we're remembering when God left the glory and the splendor of heaven, and he plunged into this dark world on a rescue mission. Just like that little three-year-old that looked to his dad and said, I knew you would come. People thousands of years ago were hanging on to words. They were hanging on to prophecies that someone better is coming. And all they had to do was wait. 
Waiting can be hard, can it? Waiting is difficult because for the most part, we are not very patient people. I mean, when we want something, we want it yesterday, right? We want it to come now. But that anticipation and that waiting is something when it comes to our relationship with God that God reminds us he is in charge. And we're on his time, not on ours. And we do know this. God's timing with everything is always what, church? It's always perfect. And it's always right on time. If you go back to the very beginning of time, there was a moment where things had been perfect. All two of the humans on earth walked with God on a daily basis, and I mean things were good. They were walking, and they had decided one day, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something, and I'm going I'm to kind of go on my own will and see what it's like. And so they disobeyed a command from God. And on that very day that the Lord gave the very first glimpse of the Savior that he would send into the world. So go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and look at this. And I will put enmity, or hostility, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise and tread your head underfoot, and you will lie in wait and bruise his heel. I mean, nine verses after the first sin was committed, the Lord is already putting a plan into action to save us from our sin. Because he knew at the very beginning of time, even when he created man and woman, he knew that somebody was going to have to come to rescue us. And so he puts the rescue mission in place at the very beginning of time. But what people had to do then, they had to wait until that moment would be revealed. They had to wait for that moment to come open. And so the Messiah will be a child of a woman. And the evil one will try to inflict injury on him, but he will crush the head of the evil one. Do you see what we see? You see here? You see a battle between God and Satan at the very beginning of time, but do you realize what God already put in motion at that point? God already kind of told us and kind of sneaked in there that even though Satan is on the scene, he can never do anything to finally conquer Jesus. He can never do anything that where one day he can say, I win this, okay? Now, I know there's a lot of times in life where we say Satan is winning right now. He's winning this battle. Church, let me tell you something. He may be winning for a little bit, but he will not have the final word. God, through the beginning of time and through the birth of his son Jesus, already put in motion a plan to save us from our sin. And he's not going to let anything distract him from that plan. And so, 
you stop and you think there and you wonder, why didn't God just send Jesus right then? So we could already put it in motion. I mean, he wanted to prove to us that we could not save ourselves. And so as you continue to flip over in your Bibles after story after story after story, you see the flood and you see where Abraham is selected, and you see the time when they're in Egypt, and you see the time of Moses, and you see the Exodus, and you see the wanderings, and then uh, they're wandering in the wilderness, and then you see as they're entering into the promised land, all this time, people are really just kind of playing games with God, aren't they? They're trying to decide, you know, am I really going to devote my time and my life to him, or am I going to do things my own way? And so they spent time wandering But all of that time, do you realize what God was doing? God never gave up on his people. Do you realize that in your life right now? God never gives up on you. Isn't that good? He never gives up on those that he chooses. And so he waited. And he waited for people to find their way back him you see God is not the one that leaves we're the one that walks away and leaves him surely the Lord is in the presence of this place I mean we believe that God is here right now amen we believe that God is well and alive and working and so all this time the prophets are saying this one message and they're leading up to this great expectation and here it is. They're saying, he is coming. Say this with me, church. The Messiah is coming. And so I want you to look in Daniel chapter 2. And I want to read to you a dream that Daniel had and how God comes along and and explains what this dream means. It's a prophecy, but in it is a reminder that someone better is coming. And so during the night, in verse 19 of Daniel chapter 2, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven, and he said, Praise the name of God forever and ever. For he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of the world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things. And he knows what lies hidden in darkness. Though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you God of my ancestors. For you have given me wisdom and strength. You've told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. And then I want you to jump to verse 26 through 28. And then the king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, Is this true? I mean, can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? And Daniel replied, and he said, There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets 
And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. And now I will tell you your dream and the visions that you saw as you lay on your bed. And then look at verse 34. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. Verse 36, that was the dream. And now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. And then look at the next section, verse 44. And during the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven, look how he's working, will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness. That's how New Living Translation puts it. I love that. And it will stand forever. And this is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron and bronze and clay and silver and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. Boy, when I, when I read that prophecy, when I read that dream and how God's interpreting it, it's like the song we sang just a few moments ago. How great is our God? Amen? How great is our God that he still works and that he still, I mean, that's a miracle. Only God could do something like that. And that's the God that through his son Jesus is begging for people then and even today, you put your hope in this kind of God, you will never have anything to worry about. He is the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords, and all these things that are broken then, and all the things that are broken today, God will bring his son Jesus back at his perfect time, and you know what, church? He's going to make it beautiful again in his own time. That's God. That's God at work, and that's what he does. Things that are broken in our lives, do we just give up? Do we just think there's no hope, there's no more? No. We realize the God that did this is the God that can still work in our life. And we believe that by faith. And we believe a prophecy like this that even though people couldn't see it, they had to believe that what God was saying would one day come to reality. I mean, you think about it. In those days, there was only one way to cut a rock out of a mountain, and that was by human hands, period. Using their kinds of tools for the day, right? I mean, they didn't have 
electricity. They didn't have the giant jackhammers mounted on front of big machinery today. There was no dynamite. There was no huge powered stone cutting machines. It was just themselves and their hands going to work. And so Daniel realizes here, while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It's a miracle. Only God could do something like that. Only God could make something happen like that because it sure couldn't happen according to what we could do as humans. Now, in those days, if you think about it, go back and remember the glory days of the British Empire. You remember the height of its power was in the 1920s when the British Empire covered almost a quarter of the Earth's total land area with a population of some 458 million people, which was about 20% of the world's population at the time. I mean, it's often said that the sun never sets on the British Empire because the span across the globe would ensure that the sun was always shining on at least one of its numerous territories. And so from a political point of view, the empire was the strongest from about 1850 to about 1910. But people living in the midst of the age of the power of Great Britain must have thought that this would last forever. I mean, people living in the beginning of the Babylonian empire must have thought that this would last forever. And here, Daniel, in an exile from Judah, receiving this prophecy from God about the rise and the fall uh, and dominating empires, four world-dominating empires before all of this would take place. I mean, think about that. And so you can't help but ask the question, did Daniel even realize that this prophet was about the coming of the Messiah? And if he did, did he wonder how long it would be before all of it would take place? I mean, all the people could do was just either believe it or walk away and say, there's no way on earth that this would happen. But you see the difference, and it's easy for us to see this on the other side, the difference is we realize God is the one that's in control of everything. And you've got to believe that, right? And you've got to believe that he could do that, he could work that miracle, and that he can still work today. And so just like that little three-year-old that was holding on for dear life and waiting on his dad, all the people could believe then was maybe, hopefully, one day, God's going to be on a rescue mission to save me. We're reminded from 1 Peter chapter 2, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him, what does it say? Will never be put to shame. That's our promise. That's our hope that we put our faith and our trust in that chief cornerstone every day of life. And so Jesus, the rock, 
that was cut from the mountain without human hands, we now see is growing into an everlasting kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. And so all of a sudden what was once hidden, even to the prophets, has now been revealed through Jesus, in Jesus, the Messiah. And so, this vision goes past the fact that this stone would cut without human hands and goes on to say that it's going to consume all the earth. And so, what does that mean for us? I think one of the things that we have to be reminded of, especially at this time of the year, is simply this. Jesus did not stay in a manger. I love the birth story. Love it. But we realize we can't keep Jesus there, can we? He's going to grow up. And what he wants us to do is his people, he wants us to grow up into him. And every day of life where we can be transformed and molded and shaped into the person that he wants us to be. And so he's no longer in the manger. And so as we think of Christmas, you can't just think of the manger. The birth story's there, but you've got to move past the fact that he's no longer in the manger. And so the story continues. And it's a wonderful time of the year to remember the birth but let's not forget what it really means. It means that God loves us and sent his son Jesus. It means that Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for sin. And that was prophesied from the beginning of time that someone better would come to rescue us. And so he gave his life upon the cross so that we could have forgiveness of sin. So do you see, just like the disciples struggled of letting go, we have to let go of the fact that he had to move on to the cross. He had to die a cruel death. But because of his death, it means that we live forever. And so he rose from the grave that we might have eternal life with him. And as we see in the prophecy of Daniel, we're going to see in some other prophecies in the coming weeks, the truth has been revealed to us. And what is that truth, church? Say it. The king is coming back. Do you believe that? Do you live like that? Do you live with that expectation and that hope? That he's coming because that's made all the difference in the world amen and it will continue to make all the difference even in our lives let's bow for prayer father we thank you for your word we thank you for the hope that we have as we read your holy word father 
that you're coming back for us. We praise your name for that. And Father, in the meantime, I pray that you will use us and that you will help us in our lives to realize that we are broken people and that we can only be put back together again because of your son. But Father, help us realize that even when our lives are broken, that's when you do your best work in our lives. And we thank you for that. Shape and mold us into your people once again. And may we give you all glory and honor and praise, not just today, but every day of life. And all of God's people said, Amen.